Classic Harrison Price for Monday, November 13th, 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Go Sports Studio, built by our Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're planning a holiday party through Remembrance Day now, tis the season. 55,000 square feet of striking indoor out, outdoor space here at the Wall. Call them 604 604- 893-7370. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price. Grace Asset and Switches conducting things in this show. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can go visit Applewood Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall right now. Maybe you jump into uh, the Sikaris Mobile, the QX50, which you can finance from 1.99%. Plus, it's like they knew that they should just call the Sikaris package. No charge winter tires on select trims as well tis the season for that as well it's all good at applewood the uh qx60 oh you're the qx60 oh pardon me a little smaller I do enjoy that winter tire read though yeah poll question today keeping acquisition cost in mind which flames defenseman would you like to see the canucks add noah hannafin chris tanoff nikita zadorov none of the above you can vote at sikarison price on twitter I voted Tanif. Bring Chris Tanif home, and, and the reason I—he's the only righty on this list. And secondly, I think Chris Tanif would give them a hometown discount because I think Chris Tanif would recognize this is probably going to be his last NHL contract, and I think there's probably a sweet spot there on a two to three year term where you could get Tanev re-signed at a reasonable cost. Plus, of course, you know he can play with your number one defenseman, Quinn Hughes, because we've seen that in the past. If you dare want to break up the the Death Star that is well, Ronick and, and And it and is Hughes. the Death Star right now, but you know what I mean. You want that versatility. 33 years of age. Um, yeah, could you do a three-year deal at a club friendly deal yep. yeah at maybe, a, cr- a club maybe. friendly price maybe now none of the above I, I can understand that as well because they all look like rentals right yeah as of right now they are all rentals but with dan milstein's connections to the vancouver roster right now um there's certainly a russian flavor to this uh roster right now and Sidorov can play the right side yeah um are you tempted? Now, he can play on the right side, but so can a couple of the other Canuck defensemen, and still Rick Tockett does not seem super interested in having left-side defensemen, left-shot defensemen play on the right, so um, he'd have to be okay with that. It's a little bit more obvious, a little bit more plug-and-play with a guy like Tannis. Darren Dreger reporting that the Leafs and Devils also have interest in Zadorov. Um, of course, the Flames are in no hurry here. I mean, it's still early days in this season, but if they are going to strip it down in Calgary, there are some attractive pieces there, and those defensemen are among them. Hannafin, I suspect, is going to command a pretty big deal. I mean, he's a 26-year-old defenseman yeah. right now, so I think you're talking significant money for Noah Hannafin. For those suggesting Rasmus and Anderson. he's a Boston kid. For so those I suggesting think. Rasmus Anderson, there's no way the Calgary's going to be trading him. He's got term. He's... Uh, still a good defenseman. They're going to hold well, on to Weger and, and Rasmus. Anderson. He's on a good price point too. Yeah. Like yeah. four and a half for two more years after this one as a 27 year old right shot defenseman. Two and one trip for the Vancouver Canucks. They get the win in Montreal last night, beat the Habs, make up for that loss 
in Toronto on Saturday. You and Jeff chastised me for wanting more than two and one. So I guess we yeah, it, well, you have to be happy. You remain chastised. Yeah. Two oh and one was you feel shame. A bridge too far to ask for. Three straight five two score lines here. Yeah. Canucks. Well, that wasn't really a five two. No, game I know. In all last I was nights. just about to say that was a three one game. That was a game that was looking to finish three one, yeah. and then all of a sudden. And winning Blake on a night where your stars weren't great. Let's hear from Coach Tana or Coach Tana, Coach Talkett first <laughs> and foremost on the effort level, and then we'll come back and discuss some of the particulars. It's a real solid game, you know. Uh, you know, Montreal's on back back like us. Um, like the response, I thought it was a really like really good game, 600, uh, 200 foot game by everybody. So, you know, it's good to you know two on one on this road trip. We're going home, so pretty pleased with the effort tonight. And look, those are the sorts of wins that make coaches happy beyond Rick talking. That the second of a back to back, where you're not cheating on the defensive side of the puck, you're playing the two hundred foot game as he mentioned, and you wind up getting a result. So. Uh, I can imagine that Rick Talkett was a very happy camper on the flight home here. And, uh, you know, now the schedule picks up in intensity come Wednesday. There's uh, a lot of games. In frequency, I'd say the difficulty level is pretty manageable going forward. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. In frequency. You've got a Wednesday, Thursday back-to-back with travel. I know it's just Calgary, but still. Back-to-back the following week on the road with travel. So the, that's asking something. But the opposition, meh. Mm-hmm couple of big hitters in the Avs and the Knights over the next three weeks, but two versus Seattle, two versus San Jose, the Ducks on the menu, Calgary on the menu. I mean, there's there's still a path to a lot of victories here over the course of the next three weeks. And one of the um, stories that has already emerged in this Canucks season, but emerged even more so yesterday, is the play of Casey DeSmith, the backup goaltender. Because... Last year, the backup goaltending really let the Vancouver Canucks down when Thatcher Demko had to leave the crease with injury. They were uh, a tire fire. DeSmith last night, he makes 30 saves on 32 shots, and he's been marvelous all season long for them. Yeah, that was probably the calmest of the starts, too. Like as I said, I think previously he's worried me a little bit because it's just uh, it's a, it's a noisier crease than we're used to seeing with, with Thatcher Demko. thought it was more calm last night um and he faced 30 shots you know like it was it wasn't like wasn't a, an easy night for him by any stretch and the most important thing with backup stars is the bottom line is the points and he's getting the vancouver connects points right now brock besser with his 12th goal of the season that line gets another goal because phil di giuseppe ch- uh, chips in they're both empty netters of course Ilya mckayev scores and he has been somewhat of a catalyst to this season more on that with Jeff Patterson coming up. And then there's the Connor Garland line. And Coach Talkett had a lot of praise for the Connor Garland line. Garland's been playing really well. You know, he's one of the better last five, six, seven games, one of the better forwards. Um, you know, he's uh, he's done a nice job. I really uh, think he, uh, that line actually has been one of our better lines the last three, four games. They, they were, they're our best line in uh, Toronto. So um, good for them. Really good line. And we always say about Garland, so much activity, bottom line just isn't there. That's it. And yet there was bottom line. A yep. goal and an assist, and and it could have been even a little bit more, but there was a lot of activity. Garland's inserting himself into situations and, and trying to be a difference maker, and it, and it worked. 
His first goal since opening night. He adds a helper. Dakota Joshua gets on the score sheet as well. Philip Perona continues a point streak. More on this with Jeff. That is sneaky historical here. One away from the club record for defenseman. And Quinn Hughes up to 23 points. He's tied with Petey for the most assists among players right now at 18. He's second in points. He went into that Ottawa game last year, uh, last week, as the NHL lead leader, league leader in puck possession, like possessing the puck nine more minutes than anybody else, which is an extraordinary gap early in the season. And yet we're sitting here talking about a Canucks win where Hughes and Pedersen were not the catalyst. So what does it tell you? They're able to win hockey games without their best players, quote unquote, being their best players. Yeah, well, we were waiting for that because the best players were the best players in the month of October, bar none. Like they just, they absolutely were, you know, demons out there. And that's why they crushed teams by an average of three goals per win. Um, But we knew that wasn't sustainable. We knew that wasn't going to happen for the rest of the season. And yet the wins have continued. And that's because the supporting cast said, okay, we got this. We're going to help you out here a little bit. And it's not to say that the stars haven't, been around. I mean, this two point night from JT Miller last night for heaven's sakes. He's now tied for fourth in league scoring. So they are around. They're still picking up points. Hughes, I mean, that was a rare night off for points for Pedersen. Even when he's been mediocre, he's been picking up points. So they're around, but they have to be able to be mediocre and this team just still get wins. Not even at this pace. This pace is crazy. They're still on their amazing pace. They're 11 3 and 1 for heaven's sakes. But if the supporting cast can be as good as they've been the last week or so, and they're maybe poised to be better with Teddy Blucher being inserted in the lineup, I mean, this team will go far, and they will stem the regression. We all know that regression's coming. Um, but the more points that you can put in the bank right now, they just took two of three on the road. You'll do that every single three-game stretch on the road. You'll take four points every time. Wednesday, they're back at home against the New York Islanders and our old friend, Bo Horvat. Bo was actually already asked about this upcoming trip to Vancouver last week. He told, he told reporters he knew that some of the comments going out the door might have been misinterpreted. He wanted to underline that his frustration was with management, not with the fans of Vancouver. Quote, I think some of them, meaning the fans, were pretty upset with what I said last year. I think they took it more personal than I wanted them to take it. It wasn't directed at them. I was just more upset of how everything went down this year. This doesn't surprise me in the least. Bo is a very political animal. He is inoffensive, diplomat, inoffensive, all of those things. I do think. His legacy here in Vancouver matters to him. I do think his reception here at Rogers Arena matters to him. We asked Jeff the uh, question in terms of what kind of reception he can expect a little later in the program. I think for the most part, it is going to be positive, but I do think you are going to see all sorts of critics talking about how this team never did anything under Bo Horvat and that his leadership was to blame. I think you're also going to see, uh, I think you're also going to hear some in the arena who choose to boo him. As we know, he didn't leave on his own volition, but sometimes that doesn't matter with fans upon a return game. No, I, I, I think 
this is probably going to be a, a love in though. Uh, you know, this is not a guy that's going to haunt the Canucks, you know, say for a, a subsequent transaction, but he's going to be in Long Island for a while um, with that new contract. So, you know, it's not like they need to vilify him. You know, if he's in the Western Conference, if he's in division, you you, you kind of need to vilify him. Um, I, I think I think Canucks fans and and honestly, like I think we're clear, he's not going to the Ring of Honor, right? Like this is not a this is not a player that's going to get that kind of an honor when his when his days are done. He was a he was a nice player for the Canucks, a really nice player, successful draft pick, successful captain during really tough Nowhere times. Nowhere near enough team success, I think, to right. get a Ring of Honor. Right. So you can just individually, they're the way he stacks up versus others, but virtually no team success. You need good memories to be in that ring of honor, I think. you know. And there are a few exceptions from the early, early years of Vancouver that have gone up there just because it was 20 years of virtually no team success, and so they needed to fet something up there. Um, but I think going forward now, they have a higher standard of, of team accomplishment to be up there, and, and Horvath doesn't meet that. So there's really nothing in it. There's, there's no reason for Canuck fans to hate Bo Horvath going forward, and so I suspect it will be 11. Well, I say uh, 420 points. It's 10th in Canucks history. He trails Bertuzzi by 29, who is not up in the ring of honor. Of course, there are extenuating circumstances. I don't suspect there. he's got a chance. Yeah. Tony Tanti, who a lot of people believe deserves ring of honor, is eighth on the list with 470. The guy right behind Bo, Alex Edler, 409. But as a defenseman, and of course, as a part of the 2011 Cup team, I think you're going to see Edler so honored. Don Lever is not honored at 407 points. Uh, Kessler is a very interesting case study at 393, 13th in Canucks history. Uh, same number of points as Brendan Morrison, actually. Also, not so honored. Tanty's exactly like Bo, though. Like, you know, really nice player. Exactly. But no playoff success. Never got past the first round with the Vancouver Canucks. So. Moving on to the BC Lions, whose season ends Saturday in Winnipeg, a second straight year where the Lions finish their season with a loss in the West Final to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Look, um, right now, and you'll hear later in the show when we have Neil McAvoy, co-general manager of the BC Lions on, the Blue Bombers are just better. And that has to be acknowledged. They won three or four games against BC this year. They have been to four consecutive Grey Cups now. And on a day where, let's face it, Winnipeg was gettable. Quarterback was not extraordinary. Passing game was not extraordinary. The Lions, of course, with some early injuries in this game that did not help. But their quarterback winds up throwing in three interceptions. They don't do anything on the ground, and the Bombers get more than 100 yards on the ground, which is what Winnipeg does. That has been part of their formula, a balanced offense with previously Andrew Harris, now Brady Oliveira. And in November, even in the pass-happy Canadian Football League, that, hap that helps a lot. And so BC doesn't have to go back to the drawing board, but they do have to figure out how they are going to build on this football team to get over the Winnipeg hurdle. Yeah, and I, I think it's no mistake or it's it's pretty obvious that running game and, and offensive line would help. Yeah. Some improvement on, along that. Um, you know, special teams, I think that's going to – 
it's going to depend on the day. Nine sacks for Winnipeg. I mean, you just can't have that. Right. And, and with a mobile quarterback, too, it's not like Vernon Adams can't extract himself out of some situations. If he's a stand still, slow pivot, I mean, you could explain that a little bit. That's not Vernon Adams. So it could have been worse, I suppose, if he was a less mobile quarterback. Um, but and, and like the, the block punt touchdown is unfortunate. But, you know, that's just. That's just the day. I wouldn't suspect that you could emphatically say they're just a better special teams. You, you uh, can't team. rely on blocked no. punt no. scores. Like that's just the, the free. Right now, Winnipeg's terrific on special teams. Yeah. Uh, you give them credit. I talked to Benavides late last week. He was most concerned. More on the about, return game is what yeah, you're referring he, to. He was most concerned about uh, Grant uh, on the return game, particularly punt yeah. returns. I did see them practice that fake punt. So, you know, there's a bag of tricks stuff there as well. But no, you're quite right. You can't. So just in terms of the the you know the foundational the cornerstone stuff of the of the team, I'd say offensive line is and, and running game is is and Brady Oliveras don't run a, a grow on trees. Again, no, and I had a lot but, of hope for Smoke Mizell like early in the season, like he looked like he was going to be a factor this year. And you'll hear the answer that McAvoy gives, and Coach Campbell has been giving it for a couple of years now that they feel really good about the receiving group. They feel really good about the short passing game working sort of as a uh, replacement for a strong running game. But I, I do think you are now starting to look at the um, everything across the tapestry of the game and of your team that is affecting you, the small margins between winning and losing at this level. And so that has to be looked at, uh, as does going to the two Canadian receiver uh, uh, ratio with McKinnis and Katoy, because you have two exceptional Canadian receivers there. And I think it may very well help you ratio-wise. If you can play the two of them, you're going to have to find a good backup because you do have to protect against injury. But being able to play two Canadians in the passing game, which may well allow you to play a, an American on the offensive line or somewhere else, that helps that unit. Also, their profile with those big bodies if you can't find the perfect They're runner, huge. like they almost act like a running game because you can do quick little six yard tight end sort of plays for with those two guys and chip your way down the field a little bit. It almost acts like a pseudo running game. So, I mean, Justin McKinnis and Katoya are, are almost indefendable. Like they're, they're really, really effective receivers to have in addition to burners and sort of big play guys down the down the field so i i think it's a no-brainer i would start them both huge upside uh huge upset in the east division final so it is the winnipeg blue bombers and the montreal alouettes from hamilton in the 110th great cup game i i think it has the potential for blowouts i uh I've also noticed who is quarterbacking the East Division champion in the 110th ah! Cup game. Thank you to everybody. You don't like Cordy Fajardo, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's my best little impression. It's pretty good, actually. Yeah. I don't like Cordy Fajardo, eh? That was after Lowell and I did the post-game show for that Lions blowout loss in Hamilton in the playoffs a number of years ago. And if you are wondering, yes, I've caught something uh, cold-wise. Not sounding myself uh, today. Hopefully be back better tomorrow. NFL, how about this stat? It has nothing to do with Cody Fajardo and feeling sick about, about the Alouettes winning either. Uh, although 
every time he does something, my replies fill up. Like mm, I'm sure all these years later. How about this from Adam Schefter? Five teams, Seahawks among the, among them, Arizona, Cleveland, Detroit, Houston as well, converted a game-winning field goal with no time remaining in Week 10. It's the most game-winning scores with no time remaining in regulation in a single week in NFL history. And some of those kicks, the Detroit kick, the Seattle kick, the Arizona kick, like happened within minutes or seconds yes. of each other yes. in the late window. Not Seattle's best effort, but they do get a win against a team that was – Still kind of hanging around the playoff bar it's, in a very it's weak 500 team if they win. It's, it's, it's a totally fine team. Like, it's not a great team, but it's, it's a palatable team. It's a good win. I mean, it's you're not going to hang Jamal Adams still. Uh, I was listening to a lot of KJR on my drive down, our buddy Ian Furness and others. Jamal Adams is still very much in the crosshair, sir. Why are they playing him so much? Can't cover. Missed tackle yesterday. Washington gets up early. And you're fighting back, and uh, extraordinary sequence of events that gets you a final kick to win it. But they need to play him. I mean, they got him for a, play a, love. But you, you, you like, what, I, what do you I'm want fine to do? with the, uh, What I'm saying is, he's not a player that you're you're playing him at safety, but he's not a player that goes backwards very well. He doesn't cover people. So I've got no problem with them playing as sort of like an undersized linebacker where you just ask them to go forward and blitz. But Julian Love is seeding snaps to Jamal Adams, and I just don't get it because Love can actually cover. He played corner at Notre Dame. So I, I just wonder if they're better off with, and this is two years, three years in a row that you've sort of wondered, why are they using the chess pieces on defense as they are using the chess pieces? So just use them in certain packages. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's almost like you're still trying to justify the acquisition cost. Yeah, maybe. Aaron Rodgers tells Melissa Stark of NBC he is hoping to be back for mid-December from an Achilles tear. Three months, three and a half months. Now, Dr. Jesse Morse, who's a pretty good follow on Twitter or social, who you know is one of these doctors that handicaps injuries from afar because he's got the medical special uh, expertise, he wonders, Blake, if Rogers had any stem cells injected into the into that ankle, into that Achilles injury, because he has not behaved pretty much since the jump of somebody who ruptured an Achilles tendon. He was back walking sooner. He was. I mean, look at him throwing the football. It seems unlikely. I mean, there's no misinformation out there. Like they're not. Are we sure? Everybody we, saw the Achilles rupture, right? Everybody saw yeah. the yeah the, the video right, of the calf and all that. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I I if it was an Achilles tear, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the table right now. He does not play it down this year. Yeah, I mean, oh, I would like to see him play it down this year just because the Jets are on primetime, it seems, every week. and It's better than the alternative. I would like to watch him over. How about those New York teams just in general? Wilson. Like, Oh, my God. Like, just cut them off the NFL map right now, please. Saw people made a big deal of the fact Tommy DeVito still lives with his parents. Well, yeah, because Tommy DeVito is not far away from the unemployment line. Right. He's going to need to be living with those He's parents. He's an arena league quarterback. If that. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Dayball, 
you're you're this offensive genius, right? You got the best out of that Buffalo offense, which let's face it, it probably hasn't been the same since Stayball left. Won a national championship as an offensive coordinator for Nick Saban down in Alabama. How can you stomach this? There's so and and here's the other thing, Blake. We'll get into it more tomorrow. And we, you and I have both mentioned this. We have both talked about how the NFL this year just isn't as gripping entertainment wise. Scoring is down. And scoring is down for a specific reason. We'll get into it tomorrow. How about the Seahawks schedule coming up? Rams, fine, whatever. That's next. 49ers and two of the three after that. Like, Seahawks should season. be fun. Seahawks should season. be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a great rivalry. Fantastic that it's back with the heights and the expectations and the stakes that it's had for, let's face it, going on a decade and a half here. And the respite in between those two 49ers games, the Dallas Cowboys. I wow. think we're going to know what the Seahawks yeah, are December the so. 11th. Especially because many believe their ceiling is Geno Smith's ceiling. Yeah, exactly. So is the quarterback good enough to beat some of the better teams in the NFC? Incidentally, I want to shout out Coach Neal and the UBC Thunderbirds. Did you hear how this game ended on Saturday? And my daughter was there and they gave me the full post-game report, yes. So the Alberta Golden Bears are driving with a lead, looking like they are just going to polish off UBC. They fumble with less than a minute left. UBC drives 95 yards, throws the winning touchdown with no time left on the clock, gets a penalty, and has to kick the convert to win from 35 yards. And they get it done. And so we're not done playing football in this city, everybody. The Mitchell Bowl, noon at UBC. The Thunderbirds host St. FX, the Atlantic champion. It is Western Ontario and Montreal in the other national semifinal, the UTEC Bowl. Best of luck to Coach Nil and the Thunderbirds. You're going to win like that in a playoff game. You probably feel you're a team of destiny at this stage. And the Atlantic teams have not fared very well. In this game, the long they're basically they might as well go to Europe to play this game. This is the same same travel. This has been one of the issues with you sport football. Um, the Atlanta Conference is just not the same as the other three, and typically their champion gets annihilated. Yeah, in the semifinal, and you're quite right. Like uh, there are no directs from Anaganish to Vancouver. <laughs> no. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. If you haven't been to Greta, we highly suggest you go on down and check it out for games throughout the season, the playoffs, plus a place to chill. We'll talk to J-Pat. We'll do some hashtags. Neil McAvoy, co-GM of the Lions, will stop by. To the people we go. Never a bad time to shoot us a text or an email, 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox, live at securesomeprice.com. Harrison Price presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And at the Applewood Auto Group, it has never been a better time to check out what they've got in terms of electric vehicles. If you've been curious before, we'll head to Applewood Kia in Langley, and they have EVs in stock. The fabulous new Nero EV with rates from 6.49%. Get behind the wheel of an electric vehicle in 2024. It's all good. 
At Indeed. Apple. We welcome in Rinkwide Chef uh, Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. Like Applewood, like the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, everything's good. <laughs> what did you make of the weekend? What did you make of the trip? Yeah, not much a Saturday night, obviously. Uh, they're allowed the odd uh, off night. They're not going to win them all, but uh, I think it is. How do you bounce back? And uh, boy, they took control of that hockey game in Montreal in the second period. First period looked to me like two teams that had played the night before. It was pretty scrambly, a little frantic, but uh, then the Canucks settled in. And kind of like the Leafs did to the Canucks on Saturday, it was guys a little lower in the lineup. It wasn't so much about star power uh, on Saturday or on Sunday for the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, to see Connor Garland have his best game in a while and Dakota Joshua, and that line was easily the Canucks' best line on a forgettable night in Toronto, and they picked up where they left off. And uh, Montreal didn't have a shot on goal with Pia Suter on the ice. Uh, like, that's pretty impressive stuff for a third line, and and it wasn't just Suter, obviously, but uh, Suter, Garland, and Dakota Joshua. And I think Joshua looks like he received the message of being the healthy scratch in San Jose couple of games ago because he has been good since and and for Garland uh, easily his most prominent performance uh, interesting to hear the coach after the game say he's been one of the best forwards for a few games now and I think that's a bit of a double-edged sword I, I don't disagree I think the effort is always there with Connor Garland uh, it's just that there hasn't been much of a bottom line but it also speaks to the fact that some of those guys uh, higher in the lineup uh, have faded a little bit, and uh, we can get to Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko, but uh, on a night at the end of the road trip, three and four, where maybe you needed some fresh legs and somebody to, to step in and step up, uh, it was nice to see that third line rise to the challenge. Yeah, I was going to ask, Jeff, what do you think it says about this team that they can get victories on the road without their best players being their best players? Yeah, and look, Thatcher Demko's been all world, and yet uh, both wins on the road trip are credited to Casey DeSmith, and so good for him, and he just continues to deliver. He's 4-0-1 now, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, the stars have been sensational, and it is kind of funny. I mean, it's been a long time since this market has dealt with champagne problems of people asking what's wrong with Elias Pettersson. He leads the NHL in scoring, but he was awfully quiet over the weekend. There's no doubt about that. And and on the big stage, you wanted to see a loud, punchy performance from him. You wanted to see Quinn Hughes continue to just eviscerate competition. And I'm not sure that he did that, although he made a nice breakout pass to Spring Miller on the Garland goal that opened the scoring. So you can't say that Quinn Hughes didn't have his moments in the hockey game. But there's Phil Horonic picking up another assist. He's up to 10 straight now with points. Uh, did you see that stat, by the way, guys, from the National Hockey League that in the last 30 years, only seven defensemen have pushed point streaks into double digits. Eric Carlson, Kale McCarr, Sergei Gonchar, uh, who was behind the bench for the Canucks. He was one of them. And Philip Heronik, uh, joining pretty elite company. So, you know, I, I do think that we're seeing that the depth of this hockey club uh, is there. And we saw it on the second night of the season when they went into Edmonton. And it was a bunch of supporting cast guys that rose that night and scored goals. So, uh, this team is humming along. I mean, the 11 wins in 15 game, guys, and they've already cleared two Eastern road trips off the books. Like, that's pretty impressive stuff. Nine of their 15 games have been away from home, and here they are with a record of 11-3-1. So anyway, you cut it, I get regression. I get that the numbers aren't going to stay where they are, but damn, it's been fun uh, through the first 15 games for sure. The depth just got better, too, with Teddy Bluger, obviously. And and for a first game, I actually thought he was kind of noticeable. I thought that uh, what you expected of Teddy Bluger, you got. And, and for opening game, I thought he might look a little bit shaky, but he was good. Yeah, he had the one bad giveaway to Brendan Gallagher late in the second period, but Casey DeSmith was there. But otherwise, yeah, I, look, 
I, I've never done it, but I can only imagine that jumping into a National Hockey League game when everybody else has had a training camp and a month of game action must be incredibly difficult. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to play in the NHL, but to try to play catch up in that regard. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, he got a little bit of penalty killing time. I thought Canucks discipline on the road trip was really good. They took two minor penalties in each of the three games. So uh, that's one way to take the pressure off your penalty killers is to stay out of the penalty box. And yeah, they ran into a little bit of trouble there in the third period where they had the overlapping penalties. But uh, for the most part, uh, you know, I think Bluger, if that's the, you know, the baseline and he'll get better from here. And, you know, all those things I said about Teddy Bluger, and he's coming off an ankle injury. Ilya Mikheyev, no training camp, misses the first couple of games of the season. And I really kind of feel like you can track the Canucks. He made his debut in Florida after the losses to Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. And man, has Mikheyev been good. And this is a guy that's coming off knee surgery and didn't have a training camp and a preseason and just looks like he's in absolute midseason form and took advantage of Jake Allen without his goal stick. And it's unbelievable uh, how often, you know, goalies, I mean, you know, you think of the blocker and the catcher, but the stick's a big part of their equipment too. And they just don't look settled in that situation. And McKayev picked his spot, uh, beat Jake Allen, and that was a big goal because uh, the Habs thought they had tied the game. Good coaches challenge. And then for the Canucks to follow that up with another one of their own and push the lead to 2 nothing, uh, I thought that was a, a pivotal part of that hockey game. He's getting 1.7% faster every game, too. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing him incrementally. Every, every game I'm getting more and more evidence of him, like, just looking faster. Like, it is coming, I think. Is too. that a technical evaluation? Because mm. I do believe NHL Edge will give you that right now That's if true. you ask, Blake. Give or take uh, a few points of percentage. But did, did you see that? I do feel like he's getting his wheels underneath him. Yeah, I, I still don't think that we're seeing him, you know, flat out beat guys with speed. And I hope that that will still come. But I think there's a confidence and just, uh, you know, some polish to his game that's getting there. So I would agree with you. And quite frankly, right now, uh, he's the best of the three guys on that line. Now, it does sort of feel like Elias Pettersson is playing through something. He just doesn't, at least on Saturday and then again Sunday, sort of fading into the woodwork. Uh, you know, the underlying numbers were not pretty for Elias Pettersson. And Andre Kuzmenko is a fascinating study in that the points are there, the underlying profile is terrific, and yet it sort of feels like he's morphing into Phil DiGiuseppe before our eyes here. That you know, there, there, There's not a lot in the way of the, the goal scoring, the big flash, and the smiles that we saw from Kuzmenko last year, and I think we all thought that there'd be some regression in that regard, but... He's, you know, he's digging in, he's winning his board battles, he's doing a lot of those things that the coaching staff wants him to do, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that they totally believed that he could do, but his profile is different, and, you know, he scored so many goals at the net front last year, and the tap-ins, and, and those haven't been there for him because there's all this movement on the power play, and other guys are stepping in and scoring the power play goal, so, you know, don't get me wrong, I think Kuzmenko's actually playing hard and playing well, and he picked up an assist on the Mikheyev goal, but, uh, He's got one goal in his last 10 games. It was the 6 nothing goal in that 10-1 romp in San Jose. So not exactly coming through with massive goals for this hockey club, but uh, the way that this team score, and you have to think it's a matter of time before Kuzmenko will get his as well. I think I said this a couple of weeks ago on a rink-wide, but um, I think the biggest problem for him is that they're shooting and scoring. Like the, the pucks are going yeah. in. Like the minute the regression starts for everybody else on the team might be the minute that Kuzmenko's scoring percentage starts to go up because that's maybe when the goaltender's stopping those shots rather than not, and he's be able to tap in a rebound. So who knows? Maybe as one thing ebbs, maybe the other thing will flow. You never know. 
Yeah, and I think part of that too is uh, you know just look at the movement of the power play and you know huge you can't find him because he's all over the place and Pedersen's moving all over the place. Kuzmenko's sort of been the the fixture. He's been a net front guy. Him and Besser have kind of switched off between the bumper and the net front, but we see him down low behind the goal line and off the line. You're not going to score uh, much from there. Even the most skilled guys in the National Hockey League. And so yeah, I do think one of the biggest differences is he had one of his best skills. And you know, look, he came in. And nobody really knew what to expect from Kuzmenko. And I think one of his biggest skills last year was finding that open ice and knowing that the timing to, you know, just pop into those soft spots behind defenders on the power play. And when you're playing with Hughes and Pedersen and Miller, they're so skilled, they're going to get the puck to you. And that's why he scored so many goals in the blue paint. And those just haven't been there for him. Again, the power play, it didn't score in Montreal, but it did score twice in Toronto. It's still running at 30%. So, you know, this isn't me knocking the power play or saying that Kuzmenko needs to score those power play goals. I'm just pointing out the fact that this team is scoring in bunches and he has one goal in his last 10 games. And it was a fairly insignificant one at that. It chased uh, the Sharks goaltender. I guess that's uh, about the most uh, you know, memorable thing about the goal that he scored at the tank a couple of weeks ago. What, what, do you, what do you make of the fact that the Canucks are at 11 regulation wins? Nobody else is in double digits. A team like the Toronto Maple Leafs is at four regulation wins. I mean, as much as we can sort of uh, point to regression possibilities and all the... They're finishing teams off in 60 minutes, guys. Good summer, big summer. All they need is regulation. I mean, they're not like these aren't lucky wins in a lot of ways, uh, despite the fact that we know luck no. has played a part in uh, it. Yeah, I mean, thorough through the 60 minutes and thorough through most of the schedules so far, even if they have, as you mentioned, um, gotten some bounces. Jeff? Well, I think, I think part of that, guys, is that they've opened the scoring in 10 of their 15 games. I mean, it's a, a much easier game to play from in front, and, and we've seen them. Uh, do that an awful lot. I was looking at this. They've trailed 2 nothing once all season. 15 games in, they've fallen behind 2 nothing, and that was the night they lost 2 nothing in Philadelphia. So that was all the scoring in that hockey game. But otherwise, even if the other team has opened the scoring, the Canucks have done a nice job of clawing back and getting that next one, and then quite often getting the next one. And, you know, think of the game at home against Edmonton. Ekholm opens the power play, or on the power play, and then it was all Canucks after that. So uh, they've only given up the first one five times, and they have managed to avoid falling behind and then having to play. They've trailed in other games. I, don't get me wrong, but just in terms of you know bad starts and you know getting in trouble early or giving up, and that's part of it too. Is they just you know they haven't given up many goals, but they haven't given up many bad goals than those ones that are so deflating either. So the goaltenders have held up their end of the bargain as well. And any way you cut it. You know, and I mentioned the road trip guys, uh, the fact that they've cleared off two Eastern road trips. I was looking at this, and I, I think this is like, you know, for all the people that keep waiting for this regression and the bottom to fall out, if you look at the next 10 games, and it's a compressed schedule, so that's going to present some challenges. But the next 10 games for the Canucks, it'll get them to the 25-game mark. Two against the Flames, two against the Kraken, two against the Sharks. They've got a game against the Ducks in there. They've got Wednesday against the Islanders. Of all of those opponents right now, Anaheim is the only one that is above the playoff bar on either side. So there is this opportunity. They're already eight games above 500. If they were to go seven and three over this next 10 game stretch, given the opponents I just mentioned, that would get them to 12 games over 500. And when you do the hockey math, they would essentially have to play 500 hockey the remainder of the season from the 25-game mark 
to get to 94 points and be right there knocking on the door of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Colorado and Vegas being the daunting games yep. uh, on this next part mm-hmm. of the schedule. Uh, we were talking just last week about the fine play of Nils Hoaglander and whether he was done being a healthy scratch. Uh, just on the fringes of the lineup here, Jeff, what did you make of sitting Hoaglander? What did you make of Jolson for Friedman? Yeah, on Hoaglander, he probably didn't deserve to come out of the lineup, but I think there were a couple of things at play there. One is uh, that Teddy Bluger was getting into the lineup, so we knew somebody had to come out. I don't think Niels put his best foot forward on Saturday, and so if the decision was made on play over the weekend, then he at least opened the door uh, to the possibility of being the guy that came out. I, I know on social, a lot of people were screaming for Anthony Beauvillier, and I think there are two things that kept Beauvillier in the lineup. One, he's the lone francophone in this Canuck lineup, and their only game in Montreal. I think that would have been a statement if you had brought a veteran out of the lineup for that game. The other one is, if they have cooled on the idea of trading Connor Garland, and now the focus becomes trying to move a guy like Beauvillier on an expiring contract, the idea of scratching him right now when things are going well, I'm not sure that that does an awful lot to boost his value. People around the league would take note if he can't play for your team. Why would you want him? play for our team like you know back to this discussion about wanting sweeteners and all those types of things so uh i think there's some of that now again you could have made a case that bovillier deserved to come out well look who they're playing next it's the islanders i can't imagine that they would sit anthony bovillier on wednesday so hoaglander may have to deal with this because that suitor garland joshua line like that one looks locked in right now i don't see any changes coming there uh, and Sam Lafferty's gone a little bit quiet. Could he come out of the lineup? Perhaps. But I think this team now with Bluger back, they want to see what Bluger and Lafferty look like together. Uh, Lafferty, of course, uh, a penalty killer, uh, right shot guy as well. So there's enough things there that probably save his spot in the lineup. But they go back to back. They're at home to the Islanders on Wednesday and to Calgary on Thursday. And so, uh, you know, if Hoaglander's out for uh, three in a row, then I think some hard questions have to be asked because he's played well enough to to keep his spot in the lineup and contribute to this hockey club. But uh, yeah, I mean, didn't we, we had this conversation probably 10 days ago, like had he done enough to sort of avoid being the guy that was going to be part of this discussion. But I guess the answer to that we found out in Montreal was nope. Uh, he's still an option to, to have to sit the odd game out. Answer me the poll question. These flames defensemen, Hannafin, Tanif, Zadorov, none of the, ablo- none of the above. Who would you like to see the Canucks at? Yeah, for me, it's more the acquisition cost. And I just, I don't like the idea of parting with a first rounder for Chris Tanev at this stage of his career as a a rental. I got all day for Chris Tanev and obviously it would be seamless to bring him back. And and I think that there could be a fit, but for me, it's more about the acquisition cost. Uh, Keep in mind that, you know, Tyler Myers on an expiring contract, Ian Cole on an expiring contract. I, I don't know that you want to bring in another guy on an expiring contract and then have to try to rebuild this defense core. They've already got two foundational pieces now in Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronick. So if you were going to part with a significant uh, piece or pieces, I guess I'd like to bring in a guy that uh, had some term and could be part of this moving forward. So that's sort of where I come at the uh, conversation here. You know, I, I think Noah Hannafin has eyes on getting back across the border and playing for an American team. So I'm not sure that he necessarily would welcome a trade from one Canadian market to another uh, Zadorov is a Dan Milstein client, as we all were reminded over the weekend. Uh, and so you, you can't discount those links either. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, the Flames, 
I don't think they're at a point where they're pushing any panic buttons. Uh, they're saving that or leaving that to, to the team a little bit north of them in Alberta. But if they fall any further off the pace, then I, I imagine that uh, these conversations and these rumors are going to uh, intensify. And so, you know, I, I don't think that it, it's mid-November. Like, I don't think the Flames are having a clear-off sale just yet, but they've made it abundantly clear that for the right price, those players can be had. I just, again, where the Canucks are with the salary cap, with what they've got in terms of pieces that they're willing to part with, um, you know, I, I think you have to be careful if you're the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, you've got something good going right now. I don't think that they're in any position where they feel the need to, you know, have to shore up things, but I certainly would expect if they stay relevant and they stay above the playoff bar that, you know, closer to the trade deadline at the very least, you might look at, at bolstering your blue line. Did Juleson make the case for more minutes with his performance? I thought he was all right. And especially when Carson Soucy went down, they're down to five defensemen at the tail end of a road trip. Obviously he hasn't played an awful lot. Uh, got his stick up in the face. I think was it. That was unlucky. Monahan, a little unlucky there. Um, but yeah, I mean, a full day off, as you can imagine, after three and four and, and travel. So uh, it'll be a practice day on Tuesday where we'll find out, is Carson Soucy on the ice? If not, what's the situation there? Of course, missed a little time right off the hop with the injury that was suffered in the preseason finale. But, you know, it's just in some ways, I mean, the Canucks, when they got Bluger back, almost back to complete and utter health, which almost never happens. And so I guess not a huge surprise that uh, somebody goes down. The other piece of this, guys, is Guillaume Brisbois has just become the complete forgotten man, right? And um, he had a strong preseason and looked like he was going to make the roster at the very least, whether he was going to be in the opening night lineup, who knows? But uh, it's just been so quiet around Guillaume Brisbois, and you just hope for his sake that, uh, you know, he's making progress. But, uh, you know, that happened, his injury happened in the preseason game out in Abbotsford, and here we are bumping up to the middle of November now and out of sight, out of mind. But uh, we'll try to get some updates uh, after practice at the very least. But as for Juleson as a right side guy, I think, you know, they, they he had sat for a while. Uh, it was three and four, so it was an opportunity to inject some fresh legs. Friedman was fine, but nobody was great in Toronto on Saturday night. So my hunch is that uh, Mark Friedman's going to get back in there. He's been a part of of this team's success since he arrived here in that trade with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think it was more just about, uh, you know, that stretch of the schedule and opportunity to throw Juleson a bit of a bone, get him some game action. But uh, he is a depth defender uh, by definition. And I think uh, he'll probably find himself on the outside looking in when they get back to work on Wednesday against the Islanders. Lastly, Jeff, you've acknowledged it a couple of times here. The next game up is the New York Islanders. And of course that means the return of Bo Horvat. He has Tried to get ahead of the reception with comments last week uh, in New York about what he meant by that, you know, by that uh, commentary about it beats Vancouver. And he'll tell you that for free. What are you anticipating in terms of a reception for Bo? Yeah, I think it's important to make the distinction here, guys, that whatever you see on social spaces, that's one thing. Connects Twitter obviously has a reputation the people that shell out and go to the games and, you know, season ticket holders, I think that's probably a kinder, more receptive audience. Sure. And I think just for those reasons, you know, you may hear the odd cat call. Uh, look, he was a loyal Vancouver Canuck through and through. He was groomed to be the captain. He played hard for this team. He was durable. I had an incredible playoff performance in the bubble, all of those types of things. But people also wanted more. They wanted him to play with more of an edge. There were times where, you know, he probably could have stuck up from some for other teammates and those types of things. 
And so, like, I'm not going to sit here and try to convince people that they ought to think differently about Bo Horvat. I just think while we may see some pushback on social, I think for the most part in the moment, uh, these are savvy hockey fans in Vancouver. I think they respect uh, the way that he played the game, the way that he represented the organization on and off the ice. So I think it's going to be a pretty positive uh, return to Vancouver for Bo Horvat. I, I, I think he'll get cheered when he gets the video trippy. He may get booed when he touches the puck thereafter, but I, I think you're right that it will be a kinder audience in the arena than it is on social. Jeff, marvelous stuff. Thanks for this. We will catch up later in the week. We'll see right. you Friday. Thanks, guys. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation Apple at Auto Group. Hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate. You access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now's the time to reach out. Find him. Jason.mortgage. Um at hockey underscore Robinson or Frank Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects, we kept saying that Connor Bedard would one day rival Connor McDavid as the best on the planet. We just didn't think it would happen a month into his rookie season. Bedard, nine goals, 13 points. McDavid, two goals, 10 points. He puts in the bracket. I kid, I kid. More on McDavid later in hashtags. At Sports Horn, John Horn. Canada wins the 2023 Billie Jean King Cup. With Leila Annie Fernandez clinching the final match, dominating Jasmine Paulina 6-2-6-3. Fernandez goes 5-0 in the cup finals. Reynas Dekusik beats three top 100 players. Feel good for Jeannie Bouchard. Been taking a pretty solid beating from tennis fans and media over the past nine years. Played and won two doubles matches as part of the winning Canadian team. Blake, at this very moment... Canada is the reigning world champion in men's and women's tennis. Headlines you never thought you would see yeah. from athletes in this country. And yet here we are. Bravo to the ladies who brought this title home. And of course, the men continue to defend their Davis Cup title from last year. Yeah, pretty amazing. I was watching the celebrations. I, I watched the, the final match, uh, the hockey team brunch for my daughter. But I was watching it from a TV from afar. And I was like, is that? Jeannie Bouchard, I saw Rebecca Marino was there, which is great to see the Vancouverite. And it was from afar, and, and I was like, is that Jeannie? It is. It's Jeannie Bouchard. She was a part of this. So it is great. I mean, I don't know that there's going to be many high moments for Jeannie Bouchard. I think her game is what it is at this point. Um, but it's good to see because she has had a, a struggle the last couple of years. Wow. When you say couple, you mean almost a decade. Yeah, I mean, you're such, right. Yeah. We had such high hopes, and um, you know, maybe it was too much too soon. Maybe she just got a heater that one year with the Aussie and the Wimbledon tournaments. But it was fantastic to see Canadians having success in big international sporting competitions. At NHL.com, Seattle Kraken for Shane Wright is unlikely to play for Canada at the 2024 World Junior Hockey Championships. Uh, they are taking a been there, done that approach uh, from Ron Francis. Um, so there will be no donation of NHL mm. quality talents to the World Junior Hockey Championships. Him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At Shug McSween sources, Shohei Atani, Yusei Kikuchi, and members of the Blue Jays front office are meeting today as contract talks begin to advance. It may well just be wishful thinking on the part of Blue Jays fans and media, but it did we underestimate Kikuchi's uh, 
role in all of this fellow Japanese player who had a fantastic year for the Jays last year. And as many are suggesting, look, it's probably not going to matter. But the one thing the Jays can pitch Otani is that your fan base here is bigger than most everywhere else. You'll have a whole country rooting for you. And I know M's fans hate to hear that, but the fact of the matter is the Blue Jays fan base stretches coast, coast to coast. So, I mean, to be perfect, needless to say, for that lineup, he'd be perfect as a two-way player. He is damn near the perfect ball player. Now the question, will Rodgers pony up what they're going to have to pony up? May well be a $50 million a year guy, huh? Maybe yeah. a half billion. Yeah, he's it's, a half it's billion. Not to, a cheap player. No, he's not a cheap player, but... at least. Um, you get arguably the best player in baseball and arguably one of the best players of all time already on your team. Like, think about the marketing exploits for the Blue Jays. Like, they have to see that as a as a cost acquisition that is... Oh, he'll make back a lot right. of that. I it, mean, you'll sell a hell of I mean, it's not unlike the Messi acquisition for, for right. MLS. Like, it, it, it's, it, you, you will get it back. So, you know, why not? Uh, at Glass City FC, Cornelius wins the Osvenskin with Malmo after his trade from Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, his transfer from Vancouver Whitecaps last year. You wonder if they go back to that well. A defender, he can play with both feet, could be very versatile in a back three formation with Tristan Blackman. Yep. He's not quite the granite block defender, I would say. Like he's, he's a lankier guy, but he is tall. He's, he has got, he's got reach and size and, and all that side, and all that part of it. Um but that that could work for Vanny Sartini. Get him, bring him back. They allowed him to develop elsewhere. He spread his wings, and now they can maybe reel him in. Atacube, a little bit like Atacube. And then lastly, at Matchsticks Calgary, the Edmonton Oilers have relieved team chef Gaston Smithson. He has been replaced with Connor McDavid's mom because she can make the grilled cheeses just the way he wants them. <laughs> Oilers are really pulling out all the stops to keep the NHL's 106th best scorer happy. Uh, yeah, a lot of people making light of this Chris Knobloch appointment, wondering if Strom is next to be acquired. Um, Let's get the Erie band back together. That'll fix things. I mean, here's the here's the other thing. Like, Did they consult him? So and Jackson no, said he so Jeff Jackson said they did not consult him because he said in his experience he has found that players don't aren't very comfortable when told about coaching changes. Oh, no, sure. Ken Holland said he did speak to veteran players. He kept the details of those conversations private, so I don't necessarily know if we don't know if that was hey his Woodcock, Woodcroft got to go, or what do you think of this guy, or what have you? But um, yes, there were uh, different answers from the Oilers executive team yesterday. Yeah, McDavid today saying that he woke up to a text message, didn't know what was coming, um, and Dry Settle said something similar as well, according to Ryan Rashog at TSN. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it is a bleep show in Alberta. That is hashtags for today. Joined now by the co-general manager of the British Columbia Lions. They fall 24-13 in Winnipeg in the West Division final. Our pleasure, though, to welcome Neil 
Neil McAvoy back to secure some price. Neil, how are you? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're... It's always a good day if we can talk football. Yeah. Yeah, I wish we were talking Grey Cup football uh, this week. Uh, tell me, what did you make of the game Saturday? <sighs> you know what? Uh, I made the game that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are still the top football team, and you have to play top-notch football, which we had all year. You know, we, we felt that we could beat them. We had beat them. Um, they had beat us, and then obviously the uh, you know the overtime loss in uh, BC Place. But at the end of the day, they are a good football team. You're going to have to knock them down. So we're going to have to regroup and uh, start you know uh, building and and trying to be them again. Which I've said that since the beginning of the year. I mean, you can you can win all these games, but you have to be able to beat the top dog, which is Winnipeg. And uh, we're just we're close. I think we're close, but we're just not there yet. I mean, we had a couple injuries at the beginning of the game. TJ Lee and Hatcher went down and this we were not able to match their you know ability to uh, move the football I, I felt our team played a lot better in the second half but um, you know first half we you know we got we got the ball drove over three points and then they literally stuffed it down our throat and we uh, weren't able to uh, regroup after Neil considering the judges cards probably would have had them over you guys on all their cards I mean one play here one play there you 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 almost won with your B minus game. Um, I mean, you were that close. Yeah, no, and but but again, um, one play. You're right. It is one play here, one play there. But that, we didn't get those plays, yeah. and so uh, they had the ability and they got those plays. So uh, until we are able to, um, you know, uh, weather the storm and get those plays, we're going to be where we're at, which is you know really good. But again, okay, it's professional football. I mean, really good. Don't don't matter. Winning, yeah. winning is the only thing that. Matters. So, be, beyond a play here, a a play there, Neil. Is there something they do better than you guys that you need to match or exceed them in? Is there an area of the game where they're just stronger than you? Where it has shown up here over the last couple of years? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think they're they are so they're they're a well oiled machine, and they have you know all the tools that it just seems that whatever you do to them, they. They're able to, able to weather the storm, and we're, we're like that too. I mean, we do have a good team where, you know, uh, you can throw a lot of stuff at us. As Calgary did last week, they threw their basically playbook at us, and we, we were able to handle it. But Winnipeg is just that next step right now where they not only are able to handle you, uh, they are able to uh, put you away, and uh, we, we have to get that mentality. And I, Again, I, I think we're close, and I, I know that uh, – you know, Winnipeg, uh, you know, was a little bit nervous about playing us, and they, they I felt they really uh, took it to us in the first half, and the fact we were only down by eight at halftime is a testament to, you know, our group, because they could have been up by 50, yeah. and uh, they weren't, so, um, you know, our defense uh, settled in, and, you know, um, but again, we got to, we got to be able to stop that opening drive that, uh, you know, they drew, took it down our throats for 100 yards, we, we got to be able to stop that, once you can do that and keep on moving the football, then you're going to be like those guys and start winning uh, more more games. I was going to ask you specifically about the running game. I, I bumped into Solly Alamimian uh, a couple of weeks back. He goes, I, I just wish they had more of a running game in November when the weather was cold. Oliveira goes for 100 yards. Why do you think you guys haven't been able to produce a more effective running game? And um, in terms of their running game, you know how difficult is it to stop? And is that something you're going to have to address going forward? Well, uh, yeah, okay, so their running game is, is really good. They obviously, you know, they, they run the ball with a bunch of guys, and then once you stop that, which we did stop it at, at some point, uh, they, you know, that's when they get the, uh, you know, their top receivers 
are able to uh, you know pick you apart. So um, our running game, we, we we felt that we had such a dynamic receiving core and a quarterback that has the ability to throw the ball and move the ball downfield. Um, that was our that was our team. Um, you know what? A more of a, a more of a running game, yeah, it would be great to have. But in reality, then then you're you're not giving the ball to your top players. And we felt that uh, getting the ball in the hands of our top guys uh, was going to be best for us. And you know, like I say, for the regular season, twelve wins, we felt that's the way it worked. Um, but you know, that's certainly. I mean, I, I, that opening drive, Smoke had a, an amazing run off tackle for you know twenty seven yards. Uh, you know, if you could have kept on doing that, but. Again, you get down, and then it's you know human nature. You feel you have to compete, or you have to you know try to keep up with what they're doing, and that that means throwing the ball downfield. And so, you know, I, I have no uh, regrets on how we we did it. It's just a matter of uh, they were able to stop us, and we weren't always able to stop them. It feels like the discovery of Justin McKinnis might have been like a couple of weeks late. Like if you guys started to use him a little bit more early in the season, I mean, it's already a formidable receiving core. You know, um, I, I don't know that you necessarily would have fared any differently, but he seems like a bit of a cheat code, honestly. Like, he is uh, tough to bring down. He's a big target. I mean, this seems like there's a real player there for you. Yeah, he's got all the size and all the ability, and uh, he did play. He started, I think, 12 to 13 games for us this year, so it's not like we didn't forget about him. It's just, again, we had so many receivers that uh, at the time we thought, okay, uh, that's the high-priced guy. We're going to have to play with them. And then at the end of the year, we just felt that uh, playing what we felt was our best offense was the way to go. So that's what we did. Do you think, um, Neil, do you think you would consider then starting the two Canadian receivers uh, as a full-time thing next year with Katoy? Yeah, it's something we certainly have to look at. Um, you know, there's a lot of things between now and May before we get to that spot. Uh, but we feel we do have two dynamic Canadian receivers that are really big and, uh, you know, both those individuals uh, should be back with us and we'll, you know, uh, certainly put that on the table as something to uh, look at and move forward with. What about your quarterback, Neil? Do you think Vernon is a guy who can win a great cup for you? Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I have nothing but confidence in, uh, in Vernon. Um, you know, you could see his ability the week before when we played Calgary, you could see his ability when, um, you know, we were playing throughout the year, uh, Vernon was uh, on on one leg on uh, on Saturday and was uh, you know uh, you know a little bit injured and, and did his best and we still I felt like I said like we both said I mean uh, we were close uh, Vernon certainly uh, put us in uh, potential at halftime and so uh, yeah I I, I have nothing but confidence in uh, Vernon coming back and uh, leading us uh, to uh, championships and is a big part of that that there aren't a lot of great quarterback alternatives out there. Like, you know, he's, he, he's got the numbers to prove it. And unless you, the grass is not greener, I, I don't think in, in quarterback land these days. Isn't that true? Yeah, the gra- absolutely. And you know, when you have a guy like Vernon, who's like as dynamic as he is, uh, and he know, I mean, he's just going to have to keep on getting better, which he does. I mean, you know, when we got him halfway through last year, you saw traits and then a full season and then, uh, you know, a full off season with uh, Jordan. And then all of a sudden we hit the, the road running at the beginning of the year. So, you know what? Uh, football team is progress. We got to keep on moving forward. We got to keep on getting better. That's that's just the way this uh, this world is. Hatcher and Lee, um, horrible injuries, horrible timing, and of course, long term recoveries. Um, how are they doing emotionally, Neil? Pretty good. Yeah, better. You know, the, two outstanding people. Forget about football. Forget about all the other. Just amazing individuals 
who are in our community. Uh, Patcher lives here. Uh, you know, um, Mr. Lee lives in Blaine, so he's might as well live here. So, two individuals that are just so dynamic, and I, I felt so. I did feel bad for them, but at the end of the day, they they are they're good guys. They got they're they're they're, they're going to do whatever it takes to come back, and I have nothing but uh, confidence that they will be able to. Defensively, Ben Halatic, no doubts that he'll be able to return and be himself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, bet, I, I bet you if we were into the championship game next week, I think Ben would have probably played uh, this week as well. So he he has a little bit of a knee injury, but uh, you know I think he this week would have been uh, he would have been on the field. With what does your unrestricted free agent list look like, Neil? And uh, who would be a priority there? To make sure they're back next season. Yeah, we got a, we got a few guys we got to work on. I just looked at list. Like I guess you know Matthew Betts would be at the top of that list. Javon Katoy is another guy. Um, Guys that we've already started talking to, so uh, you know, and I know it's early in the process, but uh, I have the utmost confidence that we will build this football team starting in February and uh, have a football team that everyone can be proud of again next year. It's uh, thirteen wins, seven seasons, it or seven losses. It ends uh, in the same round it did last year. Is it a successful season, Neil? Like, are you? feeling satisfied about this year do you believe it was a success you know what yeah i I have to be i'm a positive guy uh i am i am happy with the way the team you know obviously there's only one winner so there's only going to be one team that's going to be successful as we look at it that way but at the end of the day we we felt that we took a big stride this year we lost our starting quarterback to the national football league and we're able to play with the big dogs again in the in the championship in the western division championship so uh I, i believe that we'll just keep on running and uh you know bring this team getting better each year, which we're going to have to do to beat uh, guys like Winnipeg, which I feel we, we will be able to. Hey, I mean, don't you get to spike the football? This is the first edition of the Lions to open up the upper bowl twice in a season. In well, that was how, my, how long? That like, was going to be my last question yeah. to him. I mean, Neil, gosh, you've been around this team for a, a quarter century. I mean, what do you make of the atmosphere? Uh, the games are fun. What do you make of the atmosphere yeah. at BC place these days? Yeah, I, I I can't I can't say nothing bad about our fans. They are amazing and came out and uh, you know what? Uh, I've always felt that uh, this is a you know this is a, a team that's in the community and uh, you know you know me I, I bleed uh, orange so uh, I, I'm just I was happy with the way the the foot the, the fans came out the football team produced. There's how many years have we all gone to BC Play Stadium when I was a kid? Big crowd and the team would have lost. Well. Two years in a row, we've had that semifinal game with big crowds, and then we've won. Two years in a row, we've had this amazing opening act to come on and uh, play and have these big crowds, and we've entertained the fans. So uh, that part of it, you know what, the team is working and and, and doing well that way, and I can't, uh, yeah, we're really happy with it. Look forward to next season already, Neil. Uh, It's been fantastic working with you guys this year, watching you play ball and, of course, attending games at BC Place. Appreciate all this. Congrats, Neil. Awesome. Appreciate you having me, guys. Thank you very much. Oh, to the people. To the people. Let's let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people, we go. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation out with Auto Group. We're going to the people, Blake, and it's brought to you by Finney. And get ready to save with the Finney Black Friday sale. It kicks off on November the 20th. Savings of new, used, and rental equipment. In addition, there will be deals on Finney parts and service. So from the 20th 
to the 24th of November. Look out for daily specials and those will each last for an entire week. That gives you the chance to take advantage and save big on the things you need to keep your business running. For more info, go to fitting.com slash Black Friday. We'll start with the poll question Friday, which asked, do you care if the Canucks get lucky wins? 88% said no on this. I think saw a lot of this in the comments from Kladowski 94. The franchise deserves lucky wins after all the hockey gods have done in the past 53 years to kick them in the balls. Yeah, this has not been the luckiest franchise, so a lucky win here or there. Uh, no one's going to get too upset about. Yerke says no, but fans should stop taking it personally when analysts point out that it's the case. It's real info. It's commonly observed, and the discourse happens for unlucky, unlucky losses too. A game governed by the spontaneous bounces of a frozen rubber disc. Sometimes it will be on your side. Sometimes it will go against you. The great Dave Naylor line from years ago, take out the few seconds before each and every goal. Show fans the other 59, show anybody the other 59 minutes of the game and ask them who won. And oftentimes the team that carries play doesn't wind up winning the hockey game. James says this team couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag for the past while. Lucky wins are crucial points in the standings. The fact that they recognize they are still where they are and they need to be good is a good thing. Playoffs are a step, not a destination. And uh, Scott says, I don't care as long as they continue to play the right way. Luck will even out over the course of the year. We got lucky in Ottawa. Could have gone the other way. Had Kachuk put that one in. On the other hand, we should not have lost that Ranger game quite right actually to the inbox we go tyler you have a calculation for points required by a backup to make the playoffs at this rate with the smith and how the canucks use him should we expect 25 to 30 points this season out of the backup position well i think it's jeff's calculation but yeah i would i would say yes the way this is tracking 10 to 15 wins from your backup goaltender right yeah gets you 20 to 30 points your starter takes care of his business winning 30 some games right that Gets you in in the postseason. I mean, he's at worst a third of the way there. Right. I mean, it's it's started remarkably well. And the goaltending um, uh, on both sides. I mean, uh, I think Thatcher Demko needs a couple of days off just to sort of recalibrate. I thought he was a little bit weird versus the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, if that makes any sense. He was kind of overcommitting. He was out of sorts. Just wasn't himself. Um so I think uh, just a little recalibration here over these uh, days off is probably good for Thatcher Demko, but the goaltending has been spectacular. Brian says, tell me I'm wrong. Ken Holland's job should be in question before the coach, mainly for running it back with the same goaltending, which is likely why their superstars are pouting. And he says, incidentally, congratulations to RJ Barrett as the youngest New York Nick to 5,000 points, beating Patrick Ewing's record. And he asks, omission. Where's basketball Phil? Yeah, pointing that out. Yeah, exactly. We'll put Phil on E's and O's for missing that. Uh, Barrett is a disappointment from where we thought he might be, but still a pretty darn good player. Yeah, he's still okay, and he's yeah. still super young. Uh, as for Ken Holland's job being on the line, yeah, I mean, it is more a rush. The team's playing horribly. So if you wanted to cast blame on the head coach, fair enough. Uh, also, the roster has not been particularly well constructed since Ken has got there. The Jack Campbell contract in and of itself. Well, here's the thing. What's been their biggest weakness the last couple of years, could you say? Either defense or goaltending. 50-50 proposition there. Like, the goaltending has been questionable from the get-go, and they've had 50-win seasons. So, to me, there's something else at play, because they've never had good goaltending, and they still found a way to win. Leaf asks, 
isn't this fallback evening darkness just a brief interlude before the North Shore is once again illuminated all night by Blake's Christmas lights? How big do you guys go with your Christmas lights? Not not that big at all, um, Leaf. Uh, that's Jim Pattison that lights up the North Shore, not myself. Um, well, we uh, we go pretty big too. The though I, I did go a little bit extra last year, and that I got you know the illuminating balls, the big balls that you hang from a tree outside. How big are we talking here? Uh, Bigger than a beach ball, twice the size of a beach ball. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a big ball. But they're but they're just LEDs, right? Like they're they're not they're not casting. Still enough though that the you neighbors can't get a tan from them. The neighbors did complain. Did they really? The neighbors straight across the way because they've got a they've got a, a master bedroom that's on the front end of their house, uh, and they've got no window coverings. Uh, but you know, no window coverings. Like that's on you. Homeowner, not, yeah, they do turn off automatically. Like at midnight. Or That's one. right. What time? Well, midnight or one it's or something. Too late. No, it's not. It's too late. You, you have to keep your lights on so that when people are coming home from Christmas parties, your lights, yeah. your street still we, looks beautiful. We were delighted. We got home yesterday and saw our neighbor had decorated the front of the house. November twelfth, like clockwork. That's when we get going. I bought a wreath yesterday at Costco. Did you really? Yeah. We can't. Yeah. We can't have a tree this year because of the cats. Mm. So the tree's going to be at my parents' house. We're decorating the upper part of the apartment with lights because anything below the is in peril. Well, just do just just don't do just don't do the boss. Why don't you just well, do a tree with lights? I mean, come on. Now that she's going to hear you talking about these oversized balls, okay. I see one in her future. It's it's only a matter of where do we hang this monstrosity? Okay, back on. Uh, Dave, with Demko being part of the four mentioned leaders, while he's still backing up and on the bench, is it common for a backup to speak up and give skaters shit or suggestions? Talk had said he said something technical. Is getting your effing shit together, quote unquote, technical? Yeah. I mean, you could argue. <laughs> uh, on yeah. the Saravelli uh, clip, about he thought it was gratuitous that Linden would go back to the 17 draft and Pedersen and who was responsible, who wasn't. John Puck says, well, because he stabbed Linden in the back, which forced Linden to resign. Trevor wanted to rebuild, but Jim sucked up to Aquilini, saying they weren't going to. Tragically, Canuck says, kicking dead horse only, only hurts one's own foot, and I don't understand the purpose or the timing. It's a moot point, and it serves nothing, in my opinion. Soapbox says, betting bros... Getting all hard over Frank's comment, LOL. Shocking. Yeah, it was a bad week for the betting bros uh, last week. Uh, Rich says, it seems saying nice guys finish last is appropriate. Jim Benning was a complete and utter disaster in Vancouver. Trust me, we're all still talking about how bad a GM he was here. And Trevor has every right to speak the truth. Um, on YouTube, Alan says, you have to ask yourself why Judd left when when he was told the Canucks would work as a team when picking at the draft. Honestly, I think Trevor was right on this point. Uh, what else we got here on that? Uh, Road Henson says, it sounds like Trevor's still pissed off about getting fired. He was right. And that's fair, too. And I think it was a lot of it was a, a lot of this is legacy protecting as well. Like, Trevor just wants to, I think, ensure that the stink isn't on him for the last decade of Canucks hockey. Especially with the team turning around and yeah. being better now. Yeah. 
Lastly, hot take. In the next 10 years, the chicken sandwich will surpass the hamburger as the more popular order in America. Uh, is, there, is there an instigator for this? Oh, you were just down in the States. You saw a lot of chicken. Is that it? The chicken sandwich is now as ubiquitous as the hamburger. See, Eugene, Oregon has all sorts of mom and pop restaurants. Yeah. A lot of locally owned single restaurants, no chains. Like down low. Exactly. Yeah. The chicken sandwich is everywhere. Mm -hmm. I've got some stats for you. Oh, this is our uh, night, October 2019. Uh, the hamburger 14.7% of the burgers. customer yeah. purchase, the chicken sandwich 8.7. But here's where I'm coming from as well. Mm. A lot of medical professionals will tell you, you know, mind your red meat intake. So I think you have a little bit of that going on. Of course, we know cows and the environmental concerns of raising cattle, right? Yeah. A lot of methane. They fart a lot. Takes a large swath of land. Chickens are just easier too. I mean, they put themselves to bed at night. They go into the coop. That's that. So I think you can see more chicken farms compared to beef. If, if you're deciding right now, the chicken farm is way easier than the beef farm. Secondly, you can get people deciding on health reasons. Thirdly, I think you're going to get people deciding on environmental reasons. There's the chicken sandwich. There's a uh, a lot written on the plus health comparison. Chick fil A and Popeyes and some of these chicken sandwich places in the states, Blake. They are truly perfecting the taste of the chicken sandwich. Are you reading that Washington Post article? It's it's fourteen point uh, one to six point five in terms of. No, beef. I believe that is outdated. I believe that's that, outdated. I believe that my was, chicken stats are, are. I believe you're outdated. I believe it, it's twenty nineteen. It yeah. update to fourteen point seven to eight point seven. Well, so they're trending upwards. Yes. Oh, the chicken sandwich is catching the burger. Are you going chicken or beef yourself? I must say, I'm going chicken more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like chicken tonight. Take care of some price from the Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Errors and omissions from Friday's program and beyond. I'm not sure if you guys screwed anything up on Friday. Thanks to Jeff for sending in for, for me. I screwed up on rink-wide last Thursday. I said the Canucks hadn't had a nine-game point streak since going back to 06, 05, 06. Uh, they had one in 2011-12. That was the most recent. In fact, it was a 13-game streak. A lot of wins that year. Nothing on you? No. Nothing from Grady? No. All so. right. Best way, best bets time. And Curtis Rourke, the brother of Nathan Rourke yep. may well be playing his final game Wednesday at the University of Ohio home game. That is, he's had a splendid career there and may well have a pro future just like his brother. So I'm going to lay 10 points with Ohio University, the Bobcats over Central Michigan on your best way, best on your best bet way bet of the day. There you go. 
I'm uh, my Betway bet of the day is from the FA Cup for tomorrow. Oh, tell me you're taking some little minnow. It's Grimsby Town versus Slough Town. Slough Town. Yeah. I'm going Slough Town. They're orange. <laughs> and I like orange. 525 on Slough Town over Grimsby Town. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. I love those names in the <laughs> FA Cup. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rankwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social media. That's Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.